Let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Luke chapter 2. We're continuing our Advent series uh, of angels and shepherds and you. So we're looking at, actually, shepherds and angels and you. We are looking at the, uh, the passage in Luke's gospel uh, about the day that Jesus was born, and we've been looking at it from a variety of different angles, but all with the intention of kind of seeing God's message to us in this story, how it applies to you and to me today. Uh, what is the takeaway for Christians living in the United States of America in 2018? So I've been thinking about what I could give the congregation as a Christmas gift. And uh, clearly, you know, I can't buy everybody something. So I thought what I could give you was great advice. Though in the next few days, you're going to probably have some folks over to the house or you're going to go to somebody else's house and, and, and a mess is going to be created. And it's going to be a joyful mess. It's going to be family. It's going to be friends. But you're going to sit down at the table and, and at some point you're going to have to clean up the counter. You're going to have to do the dishes. And so I want to remind everybody that I am a huge proponent of the towel, the sham wow. Now, how many people, tell the truth, how many people here own a ShamWow towel? We, all right, Voss is nice to see you in town. Glad you have. We got some up here. Anybody? We got some ShamWows over there. So those of us that are ShamWow disciples, we get it. And I'm just giving this to you because it'll make your cleanup so, so much easier. It is a towel. It is a sponge all in one. When you order the ShamWow, you get four really big ones and four smaller ones. And you can take the small, the bigger ones and you can cut them in half and you can use them for bath mats or to drain your dishes under your crisper to keep your veggies nice and fresh. You can make smaller ones for dish rags. They are super absorbent. They soak up to 10 times their weight in any liquid. And I actually got to wait to check this out. And it's true. It really works. Multi-purpose washes, dries, polishes any surface. Great for drying. Great for cleaning your kitchen, your bathroom, carpet stains, windows, cars, boats, and RVs. I don't have a car or boat or an RV, but I do use it on my car, and it's wonderful. You can even take it to camp. It's a great towel at camp. It even cleans your dog or your cat. I don't have a dog or cat, but it was written down there, so I'm just throwing that out there as well. And it's non-abrasive. It won't scratch any surface at all. It's machine washable. It lasts up to 10 years. I've had my ShamWows for five years. They are going strong. And best of all, they're made in the good old U.S. of A., and they come with a money-back guarantee. How about them apples? So if you need to help clean it up, get the ShamWow. You know what? When we believe in something, we talk about it. When we're convinced that something is right or true, we share it with other people. Because believing is telling. Believing is telling. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through uh, 18. Hear the word of God. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born today, this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
When the shepherds went away from them into heaven, the shepherds, excuse me, the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Uh, we're going to pray for our teaching time this morning, but uh, I've asked uh, one of our members, Bob Jones, if he would lead that prayer for us this morning. So, Bob, thanks for being willing to do that. Would you pray for our time in the word? Sure. Pray with me, please. Gracious and heavenly Father, we pray just now that you would settle our hearts, that you would put out of our minds and out of our thoughts anything except your word. We pray, Lord, that we would dwell upon this passage of Scripture that's been read for us that tells of the, of the carnation of our Lord and Savior, of the magnificence of that night, the indwelling of God with man, Him coming among us. We pray, Father, that you would cause our, our attention to be on the Word, that we would be attentive to the Spirit as it speaks to us this morning. Bless Thomas, he brings the word that God has laid upon his heart. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. So it stands to reason that if believing is telling that God, if he believes that grace is really important to you and really important to me, that he would tell us about that. Uh, and that's what we want to consider this morning and then the, the question that follows that. So God, I, I believe this text shows us that God believed the message of grace was important enough to share with the entire world. Then that leads me to the question, what do I believe? Do I believe the same? Do I believe that message of grace is important enough to share with the entire world? If you are a disciple of Jesus this morning, do you believe that as well? We can say we believe it, we can give lip service to it, but do our lives actually reflect a deep and abiding truth that is transforming our lives? I have two thoughts on this passage this morning. The first is about God and his conviction, which I believe is on display throughout all of Scripture uh, and in creation and in a variety of ways. We'll talk about that this morning. Uh, how do we see God's conviction to this truth, that grace needs to be shared with everyone? And then secondly, we want to ask the question, well, do we really believe that? And if so, what do our lives look like, or how would they look to, uh, to reflect that to others? So let's talk about God's conviction on display. If you read the Old Testament, and I'm going to really hit the mountain, I'm going to hit the peaks of the peaks this morning. If you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament is rife with promises that God makes to bring about salvation. If you were here last week, you heard one of the sheep in the sketch proclaim several of those verses about the coming Messiah. This goes all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve, our first parents, right after they'd blown it, right after they, they, they had sinned against God and gone in the opposite direction and disobeyed, uh, and everything was crashing and burning, God enters into the scene and he speaks to them, but he also speaks to Satan, who was the one who tempted them to sin. And he says this to Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That is a vague statement, but it points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the offspring of the woman, and it's singular there. It's one offspring who's going to come and destroy the works of the devil. 
So we see from the very moment that, that the world is crumbling around our first parents that God is already making his grace known to his enemies as well as to his own people. In Genesis chapter 22, God's having a conversation with Abraham. So fast forward a couple thousand years or several thousand years, and here's Abraham, and he's receiving a promise from God. And God says to him, I will surely, excuse me, surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. In your offspring, and again, same word there, it's a singular word, it's not a group of people, but one person, through one of your descendants, Abraham, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So God is making clear that his grace is coming through a child of Abraham. Now we fast forward to 2 Samuel. And God is speaking to David, who is a son of Abraham. He comes from the line of Abraham. And he says to David, as he ascends to the throne of the nation of Israel, and for your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So the one who's going to come from Abraham is now going to come through David, and he's going to be a king. He's going to make everything right. He's going to redeem with authority. And then we go into the, the prophets of the Old Testament and just one or two examples. Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah speaks to this promise. There shall come forth from the shoot, a shoot from the stump of Jesse. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, King David's father was Jesse. So we're talking about the house of David. A branch from his root shall bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he shall delight, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Now, I would argue that if you take the, and there's more in the 11th chapter of Isaiah, you should read the whole chapter for yourself. I've just taken a, a small part of that. But if you read the 11th chapter of Isaiah and you hold that up against the gospel narratives of the life of Jesus, you will see that they are completely synonymous that the spirit and the tone that Isaiah points to, how, how the Messiah will live his life, how this one that comes from the line of David will establish his messianic kingdom lines up exactly with how Jesus lives in the gospel. It's one for one. So we have this promise that this Messiah is going to come with righteousness. He's going to be the one who ultimately cares for the poor, for the oppressed, for those who have been broken, for those who need grace. Micah reinforces this, one of the minor prophets towards the very end of the Old Testament. And he says this, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, which is the town of David, though you are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who will be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. He, they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Clearly, there is a very obvious message from the very beginning of the Old Testament to the very end of the Old Testament that God is firmly convinced that you and I need grace, and he's going to offer that grace through the person of the Messiah. About eight months before Jesus is born, the, one of the final prophecies, maybe, maybe you could say the final prophecy 
of the Old Testament, even though it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, is the father of John the Baptist, a guy named Zechariah. And, and John is, is born, and Mary is uh, pregnant with Jesus, and, and she's visiting with Elizabeth, and John comes onto the scene, and this is what his dad says to him as he holds him in his arms as he has been being born. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and remember his holy covenant. An oath he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. That was a child that went on to be John the Baptist. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. It's hard to, to hear those verses and all of those verses in the Old Testament that we've alluded to. And those, like I said, those, that's not even the tip of the iceberg. It's the tip of the tip of the iceberg. There, there are dozens and dozens of more passages that speak to the coming Messiah. It's, it's impossible to read those words and, and, and not understand that what the Bible claims is that God is firmly convinced that you need salvation and I need salvation. And he's going to bring it about. His, his promises are rich and deep and full. But also, when Jesus is born, creation itself speaks to God fulfilling his promise. In Matthew chapter 1, we read this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, behold, wise men came from uh, the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. God not only speaks his promises, but he makes his promises visible in creation itself. And then on the night in which Jesus was born, one of the, one of the most impressive birth announcements of all time came about. We come back to the passage we read this morning. This angel from heaven appears to them, says, fear not. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For to you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Uh, birth announcements are kind of kind of the end thing now, and you you see them sometimes they're on you know you get them on Facebook and and electronically, but other times you'll get a, a card in the mail and it's got ribbons and all kinds of beautiful pictures of the baby cleaned up and and looking you know like a beautiful little human being should look. And and when you get that, you just kind of ooh and ah, and even if you're not sentimental, you got to look at that. Isn't that that is so precious? You know that is just so wonderful that this new child is coming to the world. We'll take that and multiply times a million. Jesus has an angel from heaven that comes and says, I don't want anybody to miss this. Salvation is arriving. And just to make sure that it's reinforced, God offers verifiable evidence. Look at verse 12. Says, and this will be a sign for you. I want you to make sure you know that I'm not messing around, that this is true. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. That's not where the shepherds would have gone and looked unless God had told them. They wouldn't have gone to a barn to find Messiah. They, they wouldn't have gone to a stable to find the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they certainly wouldn't have looked in a food trough for animals. 
They needed that help to know where to find this one. And God shows the humility and the kindness that's going to be embodied in the Lord Jesus by the place of his birth. But he says to the shepherds, go check this out. I want you to know my word is good. And if that were not enough, he puts an exclamation point on it. Look at verses 13 and 14. Then there's suddenly there's a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. And glory to God on the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Tomorrow we're going to consider those two words, glory and peace, and how God knits them together and how his glory is actually for our good with one another. But God puts this exclamation point on it as if to make sure that we absolutely can't miss the fact that God's firm belief in providing grace and promise is proclaimed for all to hear, for all to see. It's obvious so guys like me won't miss it. Have you ever been, anybody, is this, have you ever been at a sporting event, like a big sporting event? I'm not talking about a little league game, but have you ever been in a stadium where somebody has proposed marriage and they put it on the jumbotron? Has anybody actually ever witnessed that? No, we got one. Did, did the person that was proposed, did she say yes? Good. That Well, of course, as I, I saw some very uncomfortable videos this week as I was, as I was researching this. Greg, did they, they say yes to yours? Okay. Anybody over here ever see it? It's a pretty impressive thing. So I, I just got this picture off the internet. It's at a Wake Forest football game. Uh, and you can't really see the yellow, but it says, Nicole, it's time. And then it says, will you marry me? Now, this is, I don't know how many people go to Wake Forest football games, but clearly it's in the thousands. And, you know, this guy's putting his name on the line. Because I have seen times when the Nicole in the story said, mm, no thanks. And that's really a tough spot to put yourself in because you're putting your heart out on your sleeve, right? I mean, you're, you're laying it all out there for everybody to see. You don't have to say yes to God. You can reject his offer of salvation. But don't say you can't see it. Don't say you never heard it. Don't say it isn't clear because that's simply isn't true. God is shouting at the top of his lungs, and he's been doing so, proverbially speaking, for thousands of years, and will continue to do it until the day Jesus comes back, because he is firmly convinced, and he's operating under the conviction that you and I need grace and mercy more than we need anything else in our lives. God's conviction is on display, but what do you and I believe? If you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, if, if, if you are following Christ, claiming to follow Christ, if that's my claim this morning, do we hold that same conviction? Now, I'm not saying are we, are we God-like in our convictions. I know we can never be like God, but, but do we see that passion of his and do we embrace it for our own? If you look at verses 16 and 17, the shepherds certainly at least began on the right foot. We can certainly say that. So they, they run as fast as they can. They find Mary and Joseph. There's Jesus lying in a manger. And they see it and they get it. This is Messiah. And what do they do? When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. Anybody and everybody who was up early that morning who ran into the shepherds heard the exact same message. Messiah is born. And if you want to see him, go around the corner and, and look in the stable. He's lying in a manger. He's, what? Trust us. Just go see him. This is what the angel said. They couldn't shut up. They couldn't be quiet. They couldn't hold it in. It, it, it was on display, not only in what they said, but in the way in which they said it. You can hear the excitement and the, and the, and the good tension in their voices as they want to make sure that, that the message doesn't stop with them. 
that if nothing else, they're not guilty of not passing it on to others. They're so enthralled with God keeping his promise of grace that they want to share it with others. Do we believe that about God's grace? Maybe another way to say it is what must we believe in order to be motivated in this direction? I want to think about that for just a couple minutes with you, and we're going to uh, we're going to leave Luke, and I'm going to kind of bounce around to a couple of other passages. But as we think about having the passion that God has for his gospel, for, for grace for humanity, I think there's, there's a handful of things that, that maybe for many of us it's a reminder. Maybe for us this morning it's, a first, it's an introduction. The first thing I would say is that, uh, and, and, and the shepherds bear this out, I've really got to remember that this is not all about me. I spend so much of my life making my life convenient for me making it so there aren't too many bumps in the road. Uh, and I can say I'm a product of my culture, and it's, it's, you know, it's America's fault for making me a consumer. But, but the facts are I have to take responsibility for my own actions and my own attitudes. There's nobody's fault but my own. And, and I have to admit that I tend to want things to go my way. And, and, I, and I certainly have seen in my own life as well in the life of others that this has crept into the church, that this notion of, you know, we, we really want to make sure that, that church is good for me. And just to kind of amplify that point, watch the screen for just a second. Tired of having to wake up, get dressed, and drive across town just to attend your favorite service? Introducing Virtual Reality Church. Start by choosing a church building that meets your needs. Tired of the stress of having to choose a Sunday morning outfit? Never make a fashion mistake again because Virtual Reality Church will style you based on your denomination. Not a people person? Select the introvert experience to completely eliminate the welcome team, meet and greet time, connect cards, and that awkward hold hands with the person next to you thing we still do. Next, personalize your morning by choosing the worship experience that you want. Feeling a touch of white guilt? Add a minority worship leader. Custom options even let you tailor the skinniness of your worship leader's jeans. Finally, no more having to endure songs that you don't like. With Virtual Reality Church, you're in charge. For the sermon, choose the amount of conviction you'd like and we'll select a pastor for you. We'll even let you tailor your sermon topics so you'll never have to attend a Vision Sunday or a sermon series on giving. And never worry again about dozing off during the sermon. With Virtual Reality Church, you can sleep as long as you want. Kids being bad in nursery? Who cares? Worried about missing a football game? Enter your favorite team and we'll provide notifications when the game is starting. Never miss a kickoff again. Want to go forward for prayer? Well, if you selected a Pentecostal service, always stand in front of a mattress. Even connect your social media accounts and we'll post for you. Get credit for being super spiritual all from the comfort of your couch. Finally, an option for people asking the question, how can I make Sunday morning even more about me? Virtual Reality Church, the future of church attendance. Not quite sure why you're clapping, but okay. <laughs> there's different types of laughter, and one type of laughter is nervous laughter. And, and I think there's maybe a smidgen of truth in, in that funny video. And I need to thank my friend Liz Olson. I saw her, she sent that to me this week. Said, maybe you can find use for this as a sermon one day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got this right here. Thank you so much. But we tend to live that way. We tend to make it about ourselves. And, and to be a follower of Jesus means it's about others. It means it's about God's glory first and foremost in our life, whatever that means. But it's also about sharing that grace with others. That has to be my mindset. It has to be my starting point. Paul puts it this way in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew 
in order to win the Jews. So those under the law, I became as one under the law that I might win those under the law. Keep going. There you go. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Paul's talking about himself there, but he's not making it about himself. Paul's talking about the need to do anything and everything he can in order for people to to hear the word of God, his grace, and his mercy. Uh, So first, it's not about us. Secondly, we need to be reminded of how desperately we need grace, that that humanity is eternally lost and separate without God's grace and God's mercy. Paul makes this abundantly clear in Romans chapter 3 and 5 and 6, and I've just taken one verse out of each of those passages. In chapter 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no innocent people. There are no innocent victims. There are only folks who have fallen short. Therefore, just as sin came into the world, Paul wrote in chapter 5, through one man, he's talking about Adam there, and death through sin. So death spread to all men. Why? Because we all sin. Our natures are corrupted. We're all going to and do sin. And the wages of sin in chapter 6 is death. We need to be reminded of our lostness. And if there's anything that the world wants us to not think about this time of year is that very fact that we are lost from God, that we're separated from him, and that we are under his condemnation. And so we, we, we try to, to Christmas shop our way out of that truth and that reality only to find that we're still as empty as we were before. Why? Because we need God's grace. It's only there where we experience the, our, our fullest and truest life. But also, I think thirdly, and I've got four observations here, thirdly, we need to be reminded that it's God's power that saves. I don't know if, if you're like me, but sometimes you're like, I'm just not quite sure if I'll, if I'll have the right words or I'll have the right answer, or I'll have the, the right thing to say, but I have to trust that what God's going to do there is that it's going to be his power that's going to speak into someone's life. So Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, this good news that Jesus is Messiah. Why? Because it's the power of of God for salvation, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So I just have to show up. I just have to kind of be ready to go and and see the opportunity and knowing that God's going to work. So on, um, what day was it? It was Friday this week. I was at the, uh, the cosmetic makeup counter at Nordstrom's in the mall, which should make all of you a little worried, (laughs) but I wasn't shopping for me. Uh, I was, I was shopping for some stocking stuffers for my wife and, uh, and, we, and, and the salesperson and I, uh, she was having trouble finding something, so we had a couple minutes while we were waiting for the computer to boot up. And uh, I said, so how are you doing with all the Christmas rush? Or, you know, you're getting swamped by people coming in. Are they coming in happy or sad? Or, you know, they mad at you? And, and she, you know, we're talking about kind of the Christmas time. She said, you know, um, you know, she was mentioning that online shopping is fewer people. It's a little more manageable in the store. But she said, you know, my daughter has become a minimalist. And she's been studying uh, Buddha and, and understanding that really, you know, all the stuff that we're supposed to be buying, that's not really what makes us happy. And she goes, maybe I should become a minimalist too. Now, even I'm bright enough to know that God's going, hey, Tom, <laughs> here's your chance. <laughs> and I said, you know, that's really fascinating because I'm a Christian. And, and Christianity uh, doesn't believe in minimal, minimalism the same way Buddhism does but it understands that there's something much more profound and something much more deep. So, you know, we're, we're created to be in a love relationship with God. And she smiled and she said, oh, I think your order's ready. 
And at that moment, I said, this is God's power. It's not, it's not me. What she says or doesn't say, how she reacts or doesn't react, has nothing to do with Tom Ricks and everything to do with the power of God for his salvation. I just need to show up and be available. I need to remember it's about God's power because that gives me the confidence and the courage to speak up for those who need to hear the gospel. And lastly, I think we just need to remember, we need to believe in God's love for humanity. In, uh, in 1 John, John says this. this is, he, he says, you want a definition for love? I'm putting it in Tom Ricks' words. You want a definition for love? It's this. It's not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And how did he show us that love? He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big word that means payment for our sins. That he took the wrath that I deserve and that you deserve and that he gave his life for us. We know through scripture, through creation, that God's conviction of grace is on display. He is firmly committed to bringing grace and mercy to all who will put their faith in Jesus Christ. The question is, do we really believe that that is true and live to that end? Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we bless your name this morning. He's the one who came and gave his life that we might experience God's grace and God's mercy. Father, we thank you that your conviction on, on grace is, is clear for us to see. Through the, the word of God, through the life of Jesus, through creation itself, uh, you, you speak to us, you sing to us, you, you woo us, you... You love us actively by reminding us that we can't save ourselves, that we are lost, but that you have come to give us life. So, Father, I pray for each one of us this morning that our trust would be in you. But, Father, I also pray that we would see the opportunity that you give us to represent this to the world, to share with others the grace and the mercy that has found us through the Lord Jesus. Father, help us not to just say we believe, but help us to believe. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.